They found injuries on our victim's body that were consistent with foul play. Halloween murder. Police identify the man whose body was discovered near Sleepy Hollow Road, but they need help finding the killer. Plus. We thought it was a one-off, but this is proving that, you know, this pretty, these otters are pretty clever. Koi carcasses, and now eyewitnesses spot a killer otter in Dr. Sun Yat-sen Garden. And... I like to tell people how to adjust their time when the daylight saving come in. Tonight may be the last time we fall back. Why the experts... That may not be a good thing. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. We begin with breaking news. First responders attending to an accident scene in Langley and a man trapped in a vehicle. At least three vehicles, including a semi-truck, a pickup and a sedan, are involved in the crash at 203rd Street and 62nd Avenue. A power pole is down and a man is trapped in the pickup because of a live wire on the vehicle. Hydro crews are on scene to deal with those live wires that would then allow crews to free the man trapped inside. No word on the cause of the crash. Power is out throughout the area, and you're advised to stay away from the area right now. We'll keep you updated as the situation develops. It's the second day of job action by striking transit workers in Metro Vancouver. Anyone heading to or from the North Shore via the sea bus, including those attending tonight's BC Lions game, is being warned about reduced sailings. An overtime ban means 20 sailings have been cancelled this evening. Sailings are every half hour until 9.15 instead of every 15 minutes. That schedule is likely again tomorrow starting at 4.15. Unionized transit workers aren't wearing their uniforms and neither side in the dispute is talking. The union has said it has no plans to escalate job action, but that could change if the dispute isn't resolved soon. Wages and working conditions are the key sticking points. It started as a murder mystery, dead and missing fish at the Dr. Sun Yat-sen Classical Garden in Vancouver. Now the story that's divided a community into Team Otter and Team Koi has a new chapter, and as Jill Bennett reports, evidence of the suspect is irrefutable. Once again, the koi at the Dr. Sun Yat-sen garden had to be fished out and rescued after an intruder broke in and started treating the pond like a seafood buffet. Two of them were eaten right to the gill plate, so the entire fish was eaten, uh, completely gone, all of it. Take a good look at the suspect shown here, captured on nighttime surveillance camera, looking straight into the lens as if to say, just try and catch me. We know for a fact there's no entrance points uh, from a, like a sewer or water line or drainage line into the garden that isn't sealed. It was almost exactly one year ago the garden entrances were reinforced after an identical heist. Last November, an otter somehow got into the garden pond and killed 11 koi, including a 50-year-old fish affectionately known as Madonna. Can't confirm whether or not it was the same otter, um, but it was definitely an otter. Attempts to trap the mischievous mammal have not worked. The first otter became an international sensation, dividing people into two camps, Team Koi and Team Otter. Now people are again being asked to take sides. Funny you have to close because of an uh, otter. I like that. Must be hungry. I would hope that they would trap the otter and take it where it needs to be um, so that it's not killing the koi. It's a bit of a good news, bad news story. I think the, the bad news is, of course, that the, the garden is very disappointed that they lost some of the koi. The good news is that we were able to react much faster because we had a really good idea of what would happen. 
Six mature koi weighing five to 12 pounds each were killed this time. The survivors have all been removed from the pond and will live at a facility in Richmond until it's safe to return. But with this koi killer still on the lamb, will it ever be? Have it happened once, we thought it was a one-off, but this is proving that you know these, pretty, these otters are pretty clever. So this could be an annual thing. Jill Bennett, Global News. Langley RCMP is asking for help to find a missing senior. 80-year-old Lorne Heron was last seen Friday night when staff at his new residence in Fort Langley checked on him. Heron struggles with memory loss and dementia and is believed to have wandered from the residence. He's six feet, six feet two inches tall and 170 pounds. He has gray hair, blue eyes, and was wearing a gray coat with jeans. If you find him, you're asked to stay with him and call for help. We're learning more tonight about a homicide on Halloween. The body of a young man was found in an open gravel area near Sleepy Hollow Road, a rural area of Chilliwack near Cultus Lake. While police know who the victim is, as Julia Foy tells us, they're asking Halloween revelers in the area to come forward to help solve the grisly crime. The photo captures a smiling Jordan Smith during happier times, but his family has released his picture in the hopes of finding the 26-year-old's killer. When our first responders, our police officers and paramedics arrived at scene, uh, what they saw uh, quickly led them to believe that this wasn't, uh, you know, a natural cause. There was foul play involved. Smith's body was found around 7 a.m. on Friday in a gravel pit on Suwali First Nations land just off Sleepy Hollow Road. Mr. Smith was known to police. Uh, and uh, we believe his murder was targeted. Investigators are combing the rural area near Cultus Lake to try and determine the events leading up to the Chilliwack man's death, which happened sometime Halloween night. What he was doing Halloween night, who he was meeting up with. Uh, did he go to a restaurant in the area of Chilliwack, maybe outside of the area of Chilliwack? These are all questions that we are going to get to the bottom of. Court records show Smith has faced several criminal charges over the past year, along with several warrants for his arrest. Charges involve car theft, break and enter, and identity fraud. Police say it's too early to connect this murder with the ongoing gang conflict that has gripped Metro Vancouver over the past year. Our condolences go out to his family, and we understand that um, this is no way uh, for a life to end. It's uh, very tragic circumstances for Mr. Smith. Anyone who is driving near the area on Halloween night and may have dash cam video is asked to call the Chilliwack RCMP or IHIT. Julia Foy, Global News. Residents of a Vernon neighborhood are shaken. There was a drive-by shooting yesterday in broad daylight. As Jules Knox reports, police are being tight-lipped but remained on scene for hours. And then I heard pop, 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 and I looked up and I saw the car take off. It was just after 4 o'clock on Friday when Vernon resident Brad Elbrecht heard a loud sound that he first thought were fireworks. Didn't really think anything of it. That, holy crap, that was gunshots. And my neighbor came over running and he confirmed, yes, it was gunshots. Elbrecht says he saw a car speed off down 24th Avenue. He then spotted shell casings on the road and in his neighbor's driveway, but nobody appeared to be injured. His truck, though, had been parked right here. Came around the back end, I went, oh boy, there's a hole there that wasn't there before. A bullet had ripped through the back of his pickup truck. There's the entry, and this is done by the RCMP, obviously. 
Albrecht had been raking leaves when the shooting happened and moments before had moved his truck out of the way and onto the street. He says it was lucky he did. The duplex across from us would have most likely got hit. The, the what ifs. Neighbors didn't want to go on camera out of fear for their safety, but believe the truck stopped stray bullets from hitting their house with kids inside. Two hours later, one, two, three, four cop cars still here. Meanwhile, police swept the scene into the night. We had metal detectors along the boulevard seeing if they can find any metal. We've had, we had both ends of the, the street block. Police have not responded to repeated requests for an interview or offered any information about whether any suspects have been arrested or if the shooting was targeted. Jules Knox, Global News, Vernon. On the heels of new numbers showing a rise in crime in Surrey, the RCMP are reaching out to residents with a community fair focused on public safety. This morning, Mounties and their public safety partners held an event at a Cole Salish Secondary School. And there was information on block watch programs and a presentation aimed at keeping teens out of gangs. Crime is an ongoing problem in the community. And the latest stats show violent crime in Surrey is up 5% and property crime up 10%. Well, crime is up throughout the Lower Mainland, and we can't make decisions based on one quarter um, of the year stats. Uh, we've had some gang violence throughout the Lower Mainland, not just in Surrey. Surrey RCMP provide an excellent service. We're always looking to be better. We're always looking to, to uh, engage you and identify areas that uh, you would like us uh, to address, and we will. But I think we're efficient. I think we're effective. A coroner's inquest has made three recommendations in a double fatal shooting in Burnaby four years ago. 48-year-old Kenneth Robert Hanna died from self-inflicted gunshot wounds in September of 2015 after 47-year-old Matthew Charles Miles was shot to death inside the same home on Francis Street. The jury is recommending awareness of mental health and addiction resources be improved and promoted and that adequate communications equipment is available to all emergency response teams. Police had received a 911 call from a woman who said her ex-husband was in her house with a gun and had already shot someone. Officers entered the home and shot the suspect twice at the same time he shot himself in the head. A Vancouver man has been charged with committing an indecent act and voyeurism. 33-year-old Anthony Emmanuel Pecorini is set to appear in Vancouver Provincial Court later this month. He's accused of exposing himself to a female SkyTrain passenger on April 29th. Transit police allege the suspect rode trains for an hour from Commercial Broadway Station before the incident. Pecorini was arrested a day after surveillance images of the suspect were released. A number of Sobeys vegetable products are being recalled because of possible listeria contamination. The Canadian Food Inspection Agency says complements sweet kale blend, vegetable platter, broccolini, chopped cauliflower, green beans and power green blend are being recalled. Anyone who has these products should throw them out or return them to the store they were purchased. 
An air quality bulletin issued for Metro Vancouver and the central Fraser Valley remains in effect due to high concentrations of fine particulate matter. The problem's being blamed on a stagnant high pressure system, which is not dispersing emissions from vehicles, fireplaces and outdoor burning. People with chronic underlying medical conditions should postpone strenuous exercise. Exposure is of particular concern to infants, the elderly and those with diabetes, lung or heart disease. Dozens of whiskey lovers lined up overnight to get their hands on some coveted rare bottles of premium spirits. More than 140 types of whiskey, scotch, bourbon, rum and other products from around the world on offer today with prices starting from $50 and going all the way up to $78,000 a bottle for one of the oldest whiskeys produced. People are really excited about the Japanese whiskeys and also the single barrels. The single barrels are really interesting because they're quite unique. And once we have them, to say there's only 50 cases coming out of that one barrel, that's it. You'll never see those whiskeys again. Well, before we go to bed tonight, we'll all be setting our clocks back one hour. The twice-a-year switch between daylight savings and standard time began 111 years ago. And this might be the last time we fall back, thanks to legislation tabled by the B.C. government this week. But as Nadia Stewart reports, it may not be the healthy move we think it is. It's one of the many things we never have enough of. There is not enough time of the day. Horologist Vahid Yazdanmir has maintained clocks and watches for over 40 years. He says time is not something we've learned to master yet. Time is important to people because it's valuable, you know, in our daily life. Uh, you know, if, if we had 80 hours a day, it would not be enough. This weekend, British Columbians will reclaim a little bit of time as they roll back the clocks by one hour, the annual daylight saving ritual. But the times, they are a-changing. We heard overwhelmingly from British Columbians that they wanted to stop the process of falling back and springing forward. The province has introduced legislation to make daylight saving time permanent, instead creating a new time zone, Pacific time, but excluding parts of B.C. observing mountain time. This could be the last time much of the province rolls back the clocks. If we are on permanent daylight saving time, we will increasingly get less morning light and our circadian clock is drifting. Miriam Judah and other health experts have written to the premier saying the move could have negative health impacts. You would have to get up an hour earlier physiologically speaking. However, we likely are not going to go to bed an hour earlier. So it will shrink our amount of time that we sleep. It will increase our fatigue during the day. Still, the province cites a public survey where over 223,000 British Columbians said they're ready to do away with this. As for the potential long-term impacts of the change... I like to tell people how to adjust their time when the daylight saving come in. It should become clearer with time. Nadia Stork, Global News. Pro-democracy protesters gathered in downtown Vancouver today to call for Canada to do more in the fight for human rights in Hong Kong. Called the 112 rally after the international emergency phone prefix, and today's date, dozens of protesters held up signs at the plaza of the public art gallery, public library, that is. They say the situation in Hong Kong is so dire, they want the interna international community to step in.
And this was the scene in Hong Kong. Thousands of mass protesters defying a ban as more riots continue. They're demanding meaningful autonomy after China indicated it would tighten its grip on the semi-autonomous territory. And the protests originally began with a now shelved extradition ban to mainland China, but are now focused on elections for Hong Kong's leaders. Riot police have issued warnings that demonstrating is illegal and masks are banned. A longtime Burnaby firefighter will be honored tonight for saving a man's life last year. Captain Wade Robertson, a 22-year veteran of the Burnaby Fire Department, is receiving a rare medal of bravery for pulling a senior from a burning home in March of last year. When flames ripped through the house on Sumas Street, the elderly man inside managed to escape but ran back inside. Robertson followed, battling heavy smoke and flames to reach the man and carrying him out. Both suffered burns. The senior also was treated for smoke inhalation. His home has since been torn down to make way for a new one. Robertson is only the fourth recipient of the Medal of Bravery in the last decade. It was a hoarding house and he wanted all the stuff and he wanted to go back in and get it. And he had re-entered the house and was lying on the floor just inside the door with flames coming out over top of him. I appreciate it, you know, it's an honor, but it, what it really came down to that night was the team that I was working with. Mm, that's amazing. The three-year-old boy stabbed in Winnipeg has died. A family friend says he was taken off life support this afternoon. And a warning, this story is pretty disturbing. Police say Hunter Hayes Smith Strait was stabbed in the neck as he slept early Wednesday morning. 33-year-old Daniel Jensen was arrested soon after and is also being charged with an earlier assault on the child's mother. Police allege Jensen was with the child's mother when the two got into a fight. Police haven't said whether they'll upgrade the attempted murder charge now that the little boy has died. Two Toronto firefighters were rushed to hospital after battling a massive fire in the downtown core early this morning. As Camille Caramali reports, one firefighter is now fighting for his life. Two firefighters injured, one of them still in hospital, from fighting a blaze to now fighting for his life. This really is the worst case scenario. Fire crews were called to this three alarm blaze at around 2 a.m. Saturday at the corner of Shooter and Jarvis Streets. They're just bombarding the building with water. James Doiron watched the action from his balcony, firefighters battling the blaze on the roof of this building. There was very lot of smoke there. When he saw one of them being carried off in a stretcher. And they were working very, very hard under very challenging conditions. It's dark. There is a large volume of smoke that's emanating from a very, very aggressive fire. Toronto Fire Services said a fire captain is in critical condition at St. Michael's Hospital after the smoke appeared to blind him while he was on the roof of the building. Just stepped off uh, you know, the roof thinking he was stepping onto another roof and, and actually fell three stories. So I think people can imagine uh, the kind of uh, damage that could do to you. Jim Warren is a 36-year veteran with Toronto Fire. Certainly a well-respected, very experienced captain who, is, who has fought and fought many fires and responded to many emergencies. Another firefighter also fell off the roof, breaking his leg but now in stable condition. This one, they're particularly upset at the uh, seriousness of the injuries. Residents in the area say the building was vacant and abandoned, a demolition permit even being issued for the structure.
a reoccurring problem in Toronto. Abandoned buildings eventually catching fire after being occupied by some of the city's most vulnerable. The historic Peacock building going up in flames earlier this year. We've got to make it harder for people to get inside those buildings because uh, that's where some of these fires are coming from. Now the office of the fire marshal has been called in. To investigate the uh, any circumstances in regard to both the fire and the, uh, the firefighter casualties. Camille Karamali, Global News. Hundreds of people in New York are protesting against what they claim is police brutality. People were chanting, no justice, no peace, as they walked through the streets Friday night. The march comes several days after a video posted to social media showed officers fighting with teens in subway stations. The Northern Thai cave where 12 young soccer players and their coach survived 18 days trapped by flooding last year has reopened to visitors. On Friday, local officials allowed groups of 20 at a time to view the entrance area and first chamber. Thai media reported that around 2,000 people lined up for the experience. Before the opening, monks and officials held a short Buddhist ceremony to honor beliefs in local spirits. Three mountain guides climbed more than 18,000 feet to take a look inside the crater of the most active volcano in Peru. It was tough going and dangerous. The side of the volcano is so steep they could hardly stand upright. But they were rewarded with a spectacular view of the inside of a smoking crater. Australian Airlines Qantas has grounded three of its Boeing 737 jets because of hairline cracks found in wing structures. Australia's Federal Aviation Administration called for all airlines to check Boeing 737NG planes that had completed more than 30,000 takeoffs and landings. These are different from the 737 MAX jets, which were grounded worldwide earlier this year. In Health Matters tonight, the Sikh Nation is marking two decades of blood donations. Since the group started partnering with Canadian Blood Services in 1999, members have helped save close to 140,000 lives through blood donation events. Vancouver's Oak Street Donor Centre hosting the 20th anniversary blood drive. They aim to collect 100 units of blood from the South Asian community to help patients in need. Sukhdeep Singh celebrated his 50th birthday by giving the gift of life along with his wife and two sons. We really want to commemorate the people who lost their life, so we should save the lives. So remembering the loss, saving the lives is, is kind of a true remembrance. So that's why, as you can see, uh, almost um, Abri Sikh showed up today and to commemorate those the life lost by giving the lives. So it's, it's, it's a contrast. The American Academy of Pediatrics is calling for more transparency when it comes to children consuming artificial sweeteners. It's estimated at least one in four kids consume the sugar substitutes. Currently, manufacturers list sweeteners among the ingredients on food products, but they aren't required to say how much of the sweetener each item contains. And a new government study out of the U.S. has found that tobacco use in PG-13 movies has increased 120% over the last decade. A majority of those scenes were in biographical dramas, but most characters who actually used tobacco were fictional. The U.S. Surgeon General has said watching smoking in movies may lead to young people lighting up. The study found tobacco use across all top-grossing movies has remained stable. Ah... 
We've got a promo we're going to tell you about. It's all about the, um, how Netflix is betting big bucks, how the streaming service is footing the bill for some big screen, big name movies. We're going yeah, to tell you all about that. Here it is now. You know what? Never mind. We'll just move on from there. <laughs> Sometimes things just don't work out. Okay, can we tell you about what's going on in Eastern Canada? Can we roll that video? Let's do that. Parts of Eastern Canada are cleaning up from a violent windstorm that tore through the region yesterday. Quebec being the hardest hit. At one point, nearly a million Hydro-Quebec customers lost power. More than half of them have been restored, but for others, it's going to be days. The Premier's comparing this to the 1998 ice storm, saying the response this time was better. Others, however, disagree. I know last night it was a busy night for security and for emergencies and stuff, but like it's a pretty serious thing and they could have sent a police officer, they could have sent anybody. But I just feel like, yes, there should be a, a better policy there. Volunteers from across the country are gathering to clean up flood-ravaged Nagano, Japan. Residents were busy tidying up mud-soaked streets and houses. Super Typhoon Hagibis swept across Nagano three weeks ago, causing massive damage and destroying more than 5,000 homes. Some 2,000 volunteers took part in the cleanup. And Yvonne, every time I see stuff like that, I just go, oh, it's so beautiful here. It is very beautiful. And it's wild when I see that video because I was in Japan a few weeks yes, before, just were. in mid-September, and I was in Nagano as well. And it was not like that. So it is incredible to see some of those images and the cleanup happening there. Beautiful for us. Uh, we've had a beautiful sunrise, sunset, and plenty of sunshine. Here's the sunset this evening overlooking English Bay. We've got temperatures sitting at 7 degrees, a westerly wind light this evening, at four kilometers per hour. A couple of fantastic photos that were submitted. This was the sunrise this morning captured by Rick in Surrey and along the western edge of the island in Tassis Inlet sent in from Andy and a great shot of a sunset that was set uh, that was sent in from Liz in Agassiz. Spectacular photos uh, that we've had over the last week or so. A very similar weather picture for tomorrow if you get out uh, captured especially in the early morning hours but we may see some fog in the mix as well. Temperatures today bumped up to nine close to the average for this time of the year that sits at 10 degrees. A few other spots across the province were missing it in Kelowna, but a high today of 8 degrees. Trail bumping up to 9, the Peace at 7 degrees, and 10 for areas along the coast near Prince Rupert. We've got a couple of weather stories across the province. We've had a ridge of high pressure still in place for the southern half of the province. Northern areas are seeing rain. It is picking up heavier at times overnight and for the morning hours. And we've got a cool Arctic high that is going to push in across the province into early Early next week, temperatures are going to cool off and drop off with many spots below the freezing mark as your daytime high. So most areas for the coast will see the bulk of the moisture for tomorrow morning. The Columbia could see a few flurries, light snow, changing over to chance of showers, morning fog patches along the south coast, dissipating for the afternoon, and then an increase in cloud cover is going to kick up, and that's when we look ahead towards our Monday. A reminder, an air quality bulletin is in effect for Metro Vancouver and the central Fraser Valley. We may see high concentration into fine particulate matter this weekend and a reminder avoid burning 
any wood and fireworks. We've just got this due to a stagnant air pattern. So a reminder if you do have any respiratory issues. For the piece, temperatures chilly in the morning hours, minus 12 with the windshield and then bumping up to minus 4. A chance for some flurries will be on Monday and we'll see those temperatures dropping off into early next week. Tuesday with a high of minus 8. White horse some cloud cover for tomorrow should remain dry. More of a clearing on the way for early next week, both Monday, Tuesday. The bulk of the rain and heavy will be across coastal sections over the next two days and some morning fog patches dissipating closer towards the noon hour. Caribou and central interior rain beginning by tomorrow morning, heavy at times through the day. Southeasterly wind at 20 kilometers per hour and the Columbia and Kootenai. It's mostly for the Columbia early morning hours, a chance for some flurries and then changing over to showers. The Kootenai will see some sunny breaks. Thompson, Okanagan, more cloud cover through the day. The snow level sitting at around 1700 meters. Whistler, some nice bright spots towards the afternoon and along the south coast in the island. We've got some fog patches dissipating. Get out and enjoy a nice day tomorrow. We have a more cloud cover moving its way in on Monday. And a reminder for tomorrow morning, we all gain an extra hour of sleep. Set your clock back before you go to bed uh, tonight. And a reminder to also replace the battery in any of your smoke mm. detectors. That's a good time to do that. And we do that typically twice a year. We may not do that anymore if, if things change for the time change, but a reminder this time. Five-day forecast. So we are going to see more cloud cover Monday, Tuesday, and by tomorrow night, but it should remain dry and fantastic through the day tomorrow. Colleen? Sounds good. Thanks, Yvonne. Okay, this is the story we were trying to tell you about. It used to be a signal that a movie was bad, but now it's the latest trend in Hollywood. Major productions, Oscar contenders, are being released in only a few theaters before heading straight to the small screen. And it turns out it's those small screen companies that are calling the shots. That should be epic. If the crowd in Hollywood is any indication, The Irishman has the makings of a blockbuster. Every showing at the Egyptian theater today sold out, filled with eager fans. Pacino, De Niro, and Pesci. But its money-making, at least in theaters, will be limited. Netflix only showing Martin Scorsese's mob movie in select theaters in only the top 10 U.S. markets and for only a month. After that, it'll only be available on Netflix, where the company hopes to cash in with new subscribers. Well, Scorsese, I think any film made by a filmmaker like of that caliber needs to be seen on the big screen. Netflix will never replace that. That was the general consensus of most fans we spoke with, but critic Leonard Maltin, who's probably seen more movies than just about anyone, says streaming services making movies, even with a limited theater run, is a sign of the times and a good one. Three, at least three, major year-end releases that might not have happened at all without uh, their funding. The Two Popes is their movie. And uh, Marriage Story is their movie, and these are major Oscar contenders, along with, along with The Irishman. He puts the onus on theater owners for not accepting the new ways viewers are consuming media. See, but it's the theater owners who are refusing to book it because they're at war with, with, with Netflix and streaming services. So really, you know, uh, you know, they're the ones who are creating the impediment for people in other cities to, to get to see this film in a movie theater. For generations, the big screen has meant the literal big screen in a theater. But nowadays, big also means reaching millions of viewers in their living rooms instead. I want a big screen in my home. <laughs> yeah, I want a home big home. enough to have a big screen. Yeah. <laughs> Never mind. Projector, that's all. Just, that's you know. The 100-inch screen, some people have those they do. in the movie room. Right. It needs the movie theater when you add yeah. that. Right? Exactly, yeah, exactly, exactly. Mm -hmm. Nice haircut, by the way. Thank you. Thank you. Looking good. Must have been looking shaggy before. <laughs> no.
You always notice when guys get their hair cut. That's Groom, why that's we right. mention it. Every it's couple of months, obvious. just like Mr. Thanks Dress for up, me up, whether yeah. I needed it or not. Uh, I guess I should talk about sports. The Canucks, the one thing people have kind of been concerned about, uh, about their great start, because we're Canuck fans, uh, you know, when's the shoe going to drop? Right. Injuries. Well, first injury, Quinn Hughes, hopefully not too serious. It doesn't look like it. He turned his ankle yesterday, won't play tonight, but they're saying day to day. But ankles are, uh, are tricky because they never heal. It's going to be sore for a long time for him, and he's such a great skater, so they'll have to play that one by ear. But... They have to keep the injuries down, and they, I think they, mm -hmm. they can't play with anyone, but... Tested your ankle? Uh, not intentionally, of course. No, I don't, <laughs> I've never gone fast enough for it to hurt, so that's, that's good. But, okay. Yeah, it's, it's, probably one of the, it's probably the worst oh, injury awful. for a pro athlete because it's, you know, it's not a bo bone heals, an ankle. Right. It just takes forever. So. Yep. That's what we're dealing with here with Quinn Hughes. All right, thanks, Colleen. Uh, Quinn Hughes will not play tonight in San Jose after turning his uh, left ankle last night in Anaheim. No word on how long the Canucks expect him out. They're saying day-to-day, -day, but that could be, uh, well, many days. They did recall Oscar Fantenberg from Utica today. Ankles are always tricky. They can take a while to heal. It's more of how much pain can you stand while still being able to skate effectively. Let's take a look back at what happened. It's uh, innocent play. The ice, not good in Anaheim, which is not a shock, but uh, no one touched him. He just turned, and you see the ankle fold right there. Left the game, did not return, and as we said, he's day-to-day, -day, so hopefully he comes back in the next week or so. He has played fantastic. Adam Godet just recalled from the minors, got the Canucks on the board. His shot went off a duck D-man and in. Vancouver had peppered the Ducks with shots, but couldn't get anything. They get a lucky one there to tie it at one, but in overtime, Jacob Markstrom, who is very good all game, gambled here to get get uh, gets left, but uh, he scores 2-1. Canucks got a point, 8-3 and 2 now. Sharks tonight at 7. NHL today, Oilers in Pittsburgh, Connor versus Sydney, but neither guy got a point today. It was a low-scoring game. Oilers break the ice in the second. Colby Cave, a recent call-up, great power move for his first of the year. One nothing Oilers. That lead stands until under seven to play. Penguins are uh, shorthanded. Brian Dumoulin will score past Mike Smith, who was great. Other than that, 51 saves for Smith, and he got the win thanks to Leon Dreisaitl, the NHL's leading scorer. He's been so dominant. What a brilliant effort there. His 13th goal and 26th point. Oilers lead the West with 21 points. Flames also on the road. All seven Canadian teams on the road tonight. Calgary and Columbus, first period. Flames strike first. Sean Monahan will wrist it past Eunice Corpasalo. First goal in 13 for Monahan. One nothing Calgary. Then in the second, they'll get another. Derek Ryan on the rush is stopped, but a wide open net there for Sam Bennett to stuff it in. And they've added one more. Three nothing Flames right now. Very late in the third. Leafs in Philadelphia. Young Toronto fan in. Uh, Philadelphia tonight, first period, Morgan Riley. Little flip pass here, gets a fortunate bounce right to Kasperi Kapanen, who blazes in and fires it home past Brian Elliott. A great move by Kapanen, one nothing Toronto. Flyers tied it, then took the lead on the power play. Claude Giroux with a beautiful solo effort here, jams in his third of the year, made it 2-1 to one Philly. They were up 3-2 in the third, but Mitch Marner on the steal and just takes off, shows the speed, goes wide around the net and stuffs it in past Brian Elliott. Marner's fourth. They're in overtime right now, tied 3-3.
And a scary moment in Boston tonight. Ottawa forward Scott Sabrin was knocked out after this collision with the Bruins' David Backus. Sabrin was on the ice for several minutes, but it seems like positive news. He can move his extremities, was taken to, uh, was talking to medical personnel. He's been taken to hospital. Backus clearly shaken up by all that, but uh, hopefully Sabrin will be all right. Rugby World Cup final, South Africa and England. Springboks looking for a repeat of the 07 final, and they also beat England. A strange st stat in their previous World Cup victories, South Africa had never scored a try. All made all their points on penalties, but they got one today. Makazoli Mapimpi starting and finishing this try. Springboks were the better side today. England not able to finish the job after that massive upset of New Zealand last week. So South Africa wins it 32 to 12. Springboks proudly winning their third Rugby World Cup championship. Welcome back. Denis Shapovalov is through to the finals at the Paris Masters, and he didn't have to sweat to do it. His semifinal opponent, Rafa Nadal, hurt himself in warm-up, so Shapo gets through on the walkover. He'll meet world number two Novak Djokovic in the final, who's already beaten Shapovalov three times this year. Denis has risen to a career-high 15th in the rankings thanks to his run this week in Paris. If he beats Djokovic, he would climb to 11th. The Seahawks have some monster games coming up on their schedule, most notably a week from Monday against the 49ers. But if that game is going to have first place implications, Seattle has to hold serve tomorrow at home to Tampa Bay. Chanel fills us in in the red zone. At the midway mark of the season, the Seahawks are sitting in good shape right now with a record of 6-2. and two. The Bucks, well, they're struggling, just 2-5, and five, but both of their wins have been away from home. So could this be a trap game for Seattle? Because after this one, the Hawks' next five opponents are a combined 26-12. and 12. The Bucks have lost three straight, but do have two big road wins versus teams with winning records. Now, Tampa ranks fifth, scoring 28 points a game. However, they're third from the bottom on defense, surrendering more than 30 points an outing. Mike Evans will look to burn the Hawks secondary. He had almost 200 yards receiving and two scores last week. While Jameis Winston is fifth when it comes to passing yards, he's actually tied for the NFL lead with 12 interceptions. He averages two turnovers every game, and in the last two weeks, the Bucs have turned the ball over 11 times. That's something Seattle will look to expose as the Seahawks are fifth in the NFL in takeaways. The Hawks have scored 27 points or more in all but one of their six wins and may need just as many on Sunday as Tampa has averaged 32 points a game in the last four weeks. Now the passing defense has struggled, sixth last overall. Winston will take shots deep, especially if they fall behind early. Now the defense had a couple of sacks last week and now face a quarterback who has been sacked 28 times this season, second most in the NFL. Now once again, a good start is the key. Here's a stat to keep in mind, since 2012, the Seahawks are 54-0 when leading by four points or more at the half. They are favored by six, but have only covered twice in the last six games. Well, the Lions mercifully finish off their 2019 season tonight at home to Calgary. BC will not make the playoffs, but the game does mean something to the Stamps, who could still finish as high as first in the West or as low as third. That all depended on what happened today in Regina. 
Riders could clinch first with a win over Edmonton, but their starter, Cody Fajardo, couldn't go due to injury. So rookie Isaac Harker gets the nod, tied at 13 late. Harker takes the big hit but completes the 29-yarder to Justin McInnes. That led to a field goal. Riders by three, and then... Rookie quarterback Troy Williams of the Eskimos is picked off by Cameron Judge, who takes it in for the touchdown, and the Riders win 23-13. So they clinch first in the West with a 13-5 record. Stamps and Bombers will meet in the semis, but home field still up for grabs in the second-place West. NBA tonight, rematch of last year's Eastern Conference Finals. Raptors and Bucks. Uh, Bucks came out on fire. Giannis and Tedekumpo with the finish. Milwaukee led 36 17 after one. Raptors digging a big hole. Pascal Siakam, their number one go-to option now that Kawhi's not there. Hits the three. Toronto has closed the gap. 77-66 in the third. English Premiership today. Aston Villa looking to hand Mo Salah and Liverpool their first loss of the season. It looked like it might happen until Liverpool equalize in the 87th. Andrew Robertson with the power header here, ties it at one, but Liverpool not satisfied with just a road point. Four minutes into stoppage time, Sadio Mane with a brilliant glancing header that squeezes into the corner. Liverpool now 10 wins, one draw through 11 matches. Meanwhile, Man City trying to keep pace at Southampton. City also fell behind, but like Liverpool, rallied late, 70th minute. Sergio Aguero with the equalizer ties it up 1-1 and then in the 86th Kyle Walker gives Manchester City the 2-1 victory as uh, they remain six points behind first place Liverpool in the EPL standings. LPGA is in Taiwan this week. Brooke Henderson right near the top of the leaderboard again in round three until she lost a ball in the rough with her tee shot. You don't see that happen often in pro golf. Couldn't find it. Made a double bogey, but she did bounce back at 16 and made a birdie thanks to this nice approach at the 16th. But she's now ninth at 10 under eight shots behind leader Nellie Korda. Fourth round just getting underway in Taiwan. All right, we've got an update on the uh, breaking news. We began our newscast with uh, in Langley tonight. First responders have managed to free the man who was trapped in his truck because of a live wire on the vehicle. The truck and a semi-truck are among the vehicles that crashed on 203rd Street and 62nd Avenue this afternoon. Two power poles uh, are still down, but BC Hydro crews have managed to turn the power off, allowing emergency crews to access the trapped man. BC Ambulance says no injuries in the crash. Traffic is still a mess in the area, so you're advised to avoid that spot. Salmon Arm has new bragging rights. It is now home to the largest treble clef in the world. Three, two, one. There it is, the North Okanagan City unveiling the huge piece of public art at Alexander Street and Lakeshore Drive today. The privately funded sculpture is more than 13 meters tall and features the first notes of O Canada. The owner of the Shushwap Park Mall pitched the idea to City Council, saying the treble clef art can resonate with anyone who lives in or visits Salmon Arm. The city hopes it will act as a magnet to attract visitors. What we wanted to do was to achieve something that meant something in the, to everyone, because everyone listens to music. So... It reminds you of a place or a person. When, so that's what I'm hoping that people will think of when they see that. That's kind of cool. Mm -hmm. so I guess it's not all about that bass. It can be the, yeah. uh, the treble as about well. About the treble as right. well.
<laughs> Fire bear. Very nice. Thanks for joining us. Have a great day. Go off on a strong note. <laughs>